do you know that the world is full of people who think they're better than the rest of us? No. no. Yeah. The uber-rich, the celebrities, the people that travel in five-star resorts that have paparazzi follow them, they're better than the rest of us. And which is why when you meet someone like them, you know, and they treat you kindly and they act like they're interested in you, you're like, you tell all your friends, oh my gosh, I met Oprah and she like treated me like a person. And I'm thinking, you're, you are a person. I know, but it was Oprah, Oprah. <laughs> you know, and then there are the people who just think they're better than the rest of us. You go to a high school or college reunion, you know who I'm talking about, Kevin, he went to medical school, he's not Warren Buffett, but he's done well. And when you're talking to Kevin, you can feel the condescension. And you're like, I hate this, I hate you, but you don't want to tell him that. Then there are the people in life today that think they're better than the rest of us. The friend of yours that lost 70 pounds, okay, and now that she's at her target weight, Every time you're having lunch with her, every time you're with her, she's talking about the fat people. You know, oh my gosh, don't, look at her. She's going to die of a heart attack or get diabetes. And you're thinking to yourself, that was you 18 months ago. But you don't say it because you know she's going to kick you or hit you for it. But, you know, and she, she talks that way. You know, there ought to be a law. We ought to outlaw Dr. Pepper and, and, and whatnot. And then you've got the guy who you work with and he got out of debt. He got out of debt only when he's at lunch, when he's talking during the week, he's talking about all the people who are charging their way through life. Man, I can't, because he's setting aside 15% of his income toward retirement. I mean, it's just going there. And he's out of debt now, and he's living cash on cash, and, and he looks down on the rest of Americans, doesn't he? Man, they're just charging all those meals out, and they can't afford those smartphones. Idiots. They're going to die in poverty. You know a guy at work like that. Come on. Or the adult version of our Sam character. Remember Sam from Kid Stuff or Rally last season? You probably know an adult version of that. You know, she collects the rainwater and reuses it. She's a vegetarian. You know, she works and volunteers in the community garden. She's always going on and on and on. She drives a hybrid or rides a bicycle to work. She's, you know, she talks about big farming and all that stuff. And she, you know, talks about the red, red meat, meat eaters guilty. <laughs> okay? I mean, there's people like that. And if you're still in middle school or high school, for those of you that are still students, I want to know that your school's got some of them, don't they? Come on. It's the girl at lunch who's got the face and body that does belong on a cover of Seventeen magazine or on an MTV reality show. Only she knows it. So, like, she's coming into the lunchroom, and she does this thing with her hair every time. You know, the the thing, and all the guys are like, whoa, you know, and staring at her, and you're just thinking, I hate you, because she knows it. She knows that she's better than the rest, or there's the basketball player, the point guard who's the high scorer. I mean, he is the big man on campus, literally and figuratively. You know that when he's getting ready in the morning, he's doing this in the mirror. Oh, yes, <laughs> and you just want to, you know, you hate him, okay? All of these are contemporary forms of Phariseeism. What? Yes, Phariseeism. Phariseeism is alive and well. And since confession is good for the soul, I probably ought to admit in church, I have at times in my life been a Pharisee. Hi, I'm Max. I'm a recovering Pharisee. 
That's where you go, hi, Max. Okay, thank you. Um, it started out for me when I was in college. I went to Wheaton College, which is a Christian college, the Harvard of Christian colleges, the Billy Graham College. Sorry, Asbury people, okay. See in there, see the pride? And, I, and by the time I was the end of my freshman year, I was part of a group that was praying for revival at Wheaton. We were praying for revival. And every Sunday after church, we had our own worship that started at like 1.30 and went until 7.30. We prayed, we worshiped God for six hours. And what that did in me is it developed an attitude. You know, as I was walking around campus, I was noting the other students who just didn't love God, who did not read their Bibles like they should. Here they are at Wheaton. Wheaton! Heaven! And they are, they do not bow before God. And it was this attitude in me. I mean, today I look back and I'm like, oh, ooh. you know. There have been a few Wheaties that I went back to and actually was like, um, yeah, about college and everything. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Pharisees aren't limited to the first century. Pharisees exist today. Pharisees were around before Jesus was born. They're around today. They may not be called Pharisees, but that's what they are. A Pharisee is simply someone who believes that because they do certain things or don't do certain things, they're better than you. That's a Pharisee. And so I want to set the record straight today on where Jesus stands with Pharisees. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh boy. Yeah, I mean... I want you to understand just how radical Jesus was and is because of what he suggests is the foundation for what it means to be acceptable in God's sight. It has nothing to do with what Pharisees think are acceptable. And so if you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to Matthew chapter 23. Yes, we are going there. Matthew chapter 23. And in order to give you a little bit of background, Matthew chapter 23, we're going to be in the first four verses. Um, there were five subgroups of Judaism in the first century. Some of you already are like, okay, let's, okay, so this is really cool. You know how like today they talk about Christians and you've got like Catholic and Protestant and then among Protestants you have charismatic and non-charismatic and then among the non-charismatics you have the Baptist and non-Baptist and then among the non-Baptists, you know, I mean, so there's all these groups and subgroups within Christianity. Same thing was true 2,000 years ago with Judaism. There were all these subgroups of Judaism. The first were the uh, Essenes. The Essenes were pacifists. Hey, dude, like, make love, not war. And they went off together and lived together in communes. I'm not making this up because they were going to usher in, like, love and, and the whole nine yard. The Essenes thought that they were special and different and better than everyone else because they were separate from the contaminated world. And then there was another group. They were the Zealots. You'll read about Simon the Zealot in the New Testament. That meant that he carried a sword about 12 inches long tucked in his belt. And any time he came across a Roman and no one was looking, <laughs> because if you dispatched a Roman, you were doing God a favor. They really thought that because Romans are scum. And so the Zealots were always looking for an opportunity to dispatch one. If you don't know what that means, ask your parents. Pharisees were kind of the middle of the road. Pharisees were just trying to eke out an existence. They were the stereotypical middle-class family. They wanted to live a life that honored God. They were just trying to make life work. They were the Pharisees. They represented most of the people in the population. And then there were the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were the collaborationists. They were the ones who uh, were in the ruling positions, the elite. They were the politician class, the Sanhedrin. 
And then you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees were also collaborationists, but they not only were in positions of power, but uh, the, the, the Sadducees also kind of adopted all the Greco-Roman culture, which meant that the Zealots and the Essenes and those people didn't like them. So they didn't get along. So, here, so, so Pharisees, Pharisees are part of what I call the God Squad. Have, you ever heard, have I ever taught on the God Squad at church? I don't think I have. So you need to know about the God Squad. You really do, because they're out there. They may be in here. <gasps> okay, so we need to talk about this. The God Squad in the first century was made up of Pharisees, scribes, and teachers. Pharisees, scribes, and teachers. And they were the God Squad. And the way the God Squad works is, if you're a part of the God Squad, this is your mindset that you have. <gasps> yeah, <gasps> we are on God's team, baby. A team, the God team. Look at all these people who are not on God's team. Poor people idiot people, loser people, you know, and there's this attitude that kind of comes out, and you just think you're better than all these people who aren't part of God's team, and it kind of seeps into things, so um, it's the God squad. Um, we're on his side. We're on the right side. Everyone else is on the wrong side. Um, in, in America, we've had little vestiges of the God squad. In the 1980s, in America, it was the religious right, right? They came along, and they were like, right, wrong, right, wrong, right, wrong, and they they, they were right about what they were saying, but the, but the kind of net result was everybody was like, oh, you think you're better than me. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay? And then evangelicalism of late has kind of gotten that bum rap. Evangelicals. Anytime an evangelical is mentioned in the news, it's not a good thing, is it? I mean, you know, I don't turn on the news, and I'm not flipping through, and I don't hear the word evangelical, and everybody going, yay! And it's usually like, boo, boo! <laughs> It's bad. I'm like, yeah, I am one of those. Okay? What I want you to understand about the Pharisees of Jesus' day is that they were halfway decent people. They're trying to eke out a life, and they didn't intend to do anything bad. It wasn't like they, you know, I'm going to be a jerk. No. They, they really were trying to do what they thought was right. It's just they ended up in a place that was not so right. And that's where we pick it up in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 and following. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. In the NIV, it's the seat of Moses, right? Uh, the seat of Moses is the seat in the synagogue where the chief uh, rabbi would, would sit and pontificate about the, you know, the Bible. Um, R.T. France says that... Uh, well, let me get to the next verse. Okay, so the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. Verse 3. So, practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. All right? So, practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. R.T. France says this should be translated better. Follow their teaching if you must, but don't follow their example. In other words, Jesus doesn't have a, any problem with what they believe. It's how they're living it out that gets, is a stick in his crawl. In fact, if you take Jesus and some of the things he's saying with the five groups, his theology most lines up with guess what group? Pharisees. <laughs> Weird. Only that's the group that he really breaks out the whip and the verbal venom on. I mean, so let's kind of get into this. All right? Pharisees were driven to be well thought of. 
They did all these things so that people would think of them as better than they really were on the inside. Let's have a moment of collective honesty. Don't look at your neighbor, but come on. When you're on Facebook, come on, <laughs> right? Phariseeism. Somebody ought to tell Mark Zuckerberg, you have just systematically created an online portal for Phariseeism. Okay? Well, what do we all do on Facebook? We're all kind of projecting and putting things out there so that people will go like, like, comment, 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 validate, 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 so, so that we feel better about ourselves. We might as well put long tassels on our robes and go around and go, look how long my tassel is. It's like dragging along the ground. I mean, so Phariseeism is alive and well, all right? And, and your friends, not you, but your friends are guilty of this from time to time, okay? So the kicker is practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. They don't practice what they teach. Live what you teach, Jesus is saying. Live what you teach. Again, his problem isn't what they're teaching, it's how they're living. And the big thing that seems to be get, getting him is that the Pharisees on the whole were very judgmental about people who weren't doing the right things. But when it came to things that they did, they were very lenient on themselves. Like, he goes into this thing with them on a stricture of the law that said, uh, you know, the whole honor your father and mother thing. What they would do is that they would, um, there was this provision in the law where if you took the inheritance and gave most of it to the temple treasury, you didn't have to take care of your parents anymore. It's, it's in there. It's a provision. So they would do that because everyone would respect them. But the net result is they're not taking care of mom and dad. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You know, boo. Take care of your parents. Don't be giving that money to God. So everybody's like, you're so awesome. Take care of your parents. And he got all mad about it. Okay? This plays out in college campuses among uh, groups of people, like in college campuses all across America, there are, um, I've been told this by women, okay? So among the women class, there's this thing that goes on, and they're not even Christians. They're not even churchgoers, but they're Pharisees. Because what they'll do is they'll judge another girl, another woman on campus, and she's a slut because of what she does. But they'll turn around and do the same thing with their boyfriend. It was an accident. You know, we weren't planning da-da-da-da. They're lenient on themselves all the while being judgmental towards someone else. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 this doesn't fly with God. And so I, I want you to know that the God Squad is alive and well in 2013. Despite 2,000 years, despite Jesus going, boo, you know, they're still around and they're still strong. But here's the good news. If in your life you've been on the receiving end of Phariseeism, this is not how God rolls. If growing up, if for you, growing up in church was a list of rules, do's and don'ts, you know, men, your hair should be no more than three finger widths from your collar, you know, da-da-da-da-da, you know, the whole nine yards, you, you don't smoke, drink, dance, or smoke, or chew, or associate with those who do, da 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 it's a little song. If, if that was your background and you were thinking that, okay, it's rules, 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 and I don't measure up, and I stink, and I don't measure up, that's not how God rolls. If Phariseeism has been a barrier for you, if hypocritical followers of Jesus have been a barrier for you, I want you to see Jesus for the radical that he was. He did not tolerate that kind of judgmentalism and that kind of attitude of, nah, 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 I'm better than you. 
He just, it didn't fly with him. Every single person. So here's the kicker. Acceptability in God's sight has nothing to do with your performance. This is the hardest thing, I believe, for people, especially Americans, to grasp. Because we make everything in life about performance. Acceptability in God's sight has nothing to do with performance. It has nothing to do with how green your carbon footprint is. It has nothing to do about what car you drive or where you live. It has nothing to do with how religious you are or how many times you attend a church service or how many times you crack open your Bible. None of that puts you notches closer to God the way God rolls. Acceptability in God's sight has nothing to do with performance. He intimates this at the end of this, in the middle of this passage in chapter 23, in verses 11 and 12, he says this, The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In other words, if you think you're better than everyone else, watch out. God's going to kick you in the knees, <laughs> and you're going to fall. But if your attitude is, yeah, I got nothing. God will exalt you, right? And he, this is borne out in, in a story that he tells for people struggling with this issue. He, he tells this in Luke chapter 18. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 9, Jesus says this, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. There's the kicker. That sets up this parable. In other words, he said this to a group of people who thought they were better than everyone else, because of what they were doing and what everyone else wasn't doing. And he says this. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. Oh, good man. The other was a despised tax collector. Oh, scumbag. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. There's a lot of me in that, isn't there? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He didn't go all the way in. He knows. I'm scum. I'm scum. I got nothing. And he knows it. Tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. Here's the good news. I tell you, Jesus said, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. That means he had right standing with God. Justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He says it again. So, in light of this, in light of the God Squad, in light of what Jesus says, let me ask a question to us, community of faith. And here's my question. Who are you comparing yourself to? I mean, we all kind of go through life and we do the comparison game, right? And then sometimes we compare with people who have more or are more than us, and we go, I stink, I stink. And then there's the other kind where we're feeling a little bit better about ourselves because we look at our neighbor and we're like, they so stink as parents, <laughs> you know, you know, I'm not as bad as I think I am, not like that, you know, for crying out loud. They will call Child Protective Services on them. You know, who do you compare yourself to? 
No one today, here's the thing, no one today in America, I think, sets out to become part of the God Squad. No one makes it their goal and says, you know what, I'm going to become a class A religious jerk. I'm going to be a Pharisee. I mean, nobody does it, not even Baptists. And I'm a former Baptist, so I can say that. No one sets out to do that very thing. It's kind of like going to Denny's. No one says, hey, let's go out to eat, let's go to Denny's. You just end up there at like 2 in the morning. <laughs> and you're like, man, how do we get at Denny's? I don't know, but here we are, let's eat, okay? That's the way it works with Phariseeism. No one, no one intends to become a Pharisee. It just kind of, you wake up one day and you're like, oh, Oh, my goodness. Okay, so let me give some warning signs, all right, some indicators. Uh, you have disdain for those who are at the back of the line, and instead of compassion for them, uh, and maybe it's because they can't keep up with your religious practice. Maybe they're the oncers in church who show up at Christmas or Easter, and you're like, just quit playing around with God, you know, uh, you know and you find yourself feeling a little contempt for them. Uh, maybe it's their level of greenness, and they're driving an excursion. You're like, you are so going to burn for that. You know, I mean, you know, you think those thoughts, okay, come on. So if you have contempt for them, frustration, a little arrogance, that's kind of an indicator that maybe you're on the God squad path. So it's kind of like a little flashing yellow light on your dashboard. Another one is if you're a part of a church and you find the mindset of the church is, you know, we just need to thin the crowds a little bit. <clears throat> You know, there's some people here that just aren't taking God seriously. I think we'd do better if we could just shrink, you know, some holy shrinkage. You know, if you find yourself having that thought, instead of, you know, there's all these people out here, <laughs> out there, that need to hear the good news of who God is and what he's done through Jesus Christ. I mean, we need to get them in here, so to speak. I mean, where, where's your prevailing mindset? And then the last one is, do you find yourself just judging people because of the car they drive or the house they live in? You know, you, you, you meet them or you stop by their house and you're like, oh man, if I had that kind of money, I'd be giving away dot, dot, dot to the poor, you know, you know. Uh, those are kind of little indicator lights on your spiritual dashboard. And if they're flashing yellow, here's, so what do you do, okay, right? And you're like, okay, fine, I might have one light, Max, uncle. Okay, I've got a flashing light. Well, all right, collect a breath. <gasps> okay, so here's what you can do. Here's what I can do. And again, I say this as a recovering Pharisee. One, stop comparing yourself to those who aren't where you are. Stop comparing yourself with people who are down the line from you so that you feel better about where you are. Start comparing yourself to Jesus. You're like, what? I lose in that one. Ding. <laughs> we all lose in that one. <laughs> you can say, you want to know, you, you ever stuck for what you pray to God? Just God loves this prayer, right? Right, quick and simple. God, I am not Jesus. <laughs> God's like, darn straight, you're not, <laughs> you know. Boom, glad we could clarify that, you know. So stop comparing yourself to people down the line. Start comparing yourself to Jesus. And when you get there, don't excuse your own unrighteousness. That's the tax collector from the story that Jesus tells. And it's when the best points in my life spiritually are when I'm going to God and I'm saying, I got nothing. I got nothing. I have nothing. I can contribute nothing. I, I have blown it. I am blowing it. <laughs> I'm probably going to blow it. Ah. 
in that moment, in that moment of humility, God can do some amazing things, all right? So, one, stop comparing yourself to those who aren't where you are. Two, don't excuse your unrighteousness. Three, repent. Repent simply means it's this kind of twofold thing. It's one, agreeing with God about what's true. And then secondly, kind of turning and going a different direction, a new direction. There's that kind of twofold thing with repentance. And then lastly, receive grace and forgiveness and right standing with God in that moment. Remember, that's the good news of the story that Jesus tells with the, the tax collector. He goes in to God's house thinking he's got nothing, thinking he's absolutely nothing, thinking he's totally blown it. He knows, I am scum. And he walks home in right standing with God. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's this great reversal, okay? So all I want you to know today, Team Generations, is that Jesus started a radical revolution of equality in the first century. And a a revolution of equality based on the fact that, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner too. Oh, you're a sinner? Yeah, I'm a sinner. Oh, you got nothing? Yeah, I got nothing. You got nothing? Yep, got nothing. And they, in the first century, they started calling themselves brothers and sisters in Christ. They were a new family. And people who were rich in that first century didn't think of themselves as better than people who were slaves. Because they understood, I got nothing. And this equality started expressing itself. And they started calling each other brothers and sisters. It was so bad that Romans of the first century thought that Uh, Christians, this sect of Judaism, were incestuous. That's what they thought, because they would hear them talk about brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Oh, ew! I mean, that's what the Romans thought. And, I mean, by the time you get to the second and third century, you have Christian apologists going, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. When we say that, this is what we mean. (laughs) You know, having to explain the language. But the language was language of equality. We're all family members. We're all on equal footing, because we're all sinners saved by grace. It's Jesus, not us. I think if we had that attitude in the church in America, come on now. I think Team God could get some yardage in the good old U.S. of A. Because that's attractive. The whole, you people, you know, you need to, one, two, three, get your butt in church. You need to quit, you know, drinking on the weekend. You know, all the little lists. You know, they already know that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to some degree. Some of them like, yeah, they need to know that, okay? But, you know, what an amazing thing we could do if we were humble in the way that Jesus wants us to be humble.